0: Having just witnessed and indeed participated in the baptism of a child of believing parents, a baptism based on the hope of this child coming to, in the future, to a personal faith in Jesus, it's very fitting, I think, to explore something of the baptism of Jesus himself. What does it signify about him? And what can we learn from the ordeal that he underwent straight afterwards? How can And how can this help us in dealing with our own ordeals? Because if anyone doesn't have an ordeal in life at any point, uh, then you can probably ignore this, but I don't know whether that applies to any of us. So firstly, what is significant about Jesus' baptism? What is its significance? Well, as we heard in our first reading from Matthew's Gospel, the baptism of Jesus dramatically climaxes in the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him, and a voice from heaven declaring, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, many of us, maybe most of us, are so familiar with those words from heaven that it's probably difficult for us to realise just how dramatic their impact would have been on the crowd that was down at the Jordan River being baptised by John the Baptist. Among that crowd, Matthew previously told us, were many of the Pharisees and Sadducees who'd come down to see what all the fuss was about. Now, Now, these two groups knew or should have known the Old Testament scriptures like the back of their hands. They would or should have known that this divine statement from heaven was actually two statements. Where am I? Sorry about that. (laughs) Yes, it was actually two statements. The first declares Jesus to be God's beloved son and that's taken straight from the second psalm verse 7 of the second psalm that's a psalm which every religious Jew knew was about God's chosen one the Messiah the Christ the mighty king who was to come and the second statement with whom I am well pleased is a quote from the what we regard, what we have classified as the 42nd chapter of the prophet Isaiah. It's a description of what's known as the suffering servant of the Lord, a description that climaxes in chapter 53 of Isaiah, where Isaiah declares that this servant, so beloved of God, will be wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, whose chastisement brings us peace, so that by his stripes we are healed. Now all of this should have been apparent to the learned Pharisees and Sadducees watching the baptism of this man, Jesus, from Nazareth. The two certainties that God reveals here about Jesus are that he is the chosen one of God, and that the way in front of him ultimately is the way of the cross. Jesus himself would have known at this moment, if not before, that he was destined to be the ultimate conqueror, but that his conquest must have as its only weapon the power of suffering love. His baptism was, in effect, God's visual and audible ordination of Jesus as the future king of kings and the great high priests of each and every soul that would come to trust in him. So this then is the context for what happens next in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. For no sooner has Jesus' true identity and his earthly mission been publicly revealed to those who had ears to hear at his baptism than his trial begins. Here's what Matthew tells us in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So notice this. Jesus' ordeal is under God's sovereign sovereign control and will. He was led there for that purpose by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is not something outside of God's power. He is led by the Holy Spirit to the place and the circumstances of his trial of temptation. It is therefore something that serves God's purposes. And the same goes for us and our temptations. We, we need to see them for what they are. They are a means of testing us. In fact, this word that the English Bibles have translated as temptation is better understood as testing. That's its basic meaning. What we call temptation is not meant by God to make us sin. It's meant to enable us to conquer sin. It's not meant to make us bad. It's meant to make us more Christ-like. It's not meant to weaken us. It's meant to temper us, that we might emerge stronger. And, and let's just pause here for a moment, a bit of a side issue, but worth thinking about. In this context the Oxford Dictionary defines the verb temper as opposed to the noun temper. The verb temper, it it defines as to bring something such as metal or clay to a proper hardness or consistency. And the Bible, as you probably know, often likens us to clay vessels. And like them, we are ultimately in the biblical language made from the dust of the earth so tempering is a very appropriate metaphor for our trials and tests now temptation tempering is not the penalty for being human it's the glory of being human it's the test that comes to a person who God wishes to use So think of this episode in the wilderness, not so much as the tempting of Jesus, but as the testing and tempering of Jesus. Now, the actual tests that Jesus was put through are quite particular to who he is and what his strengths are. So they are specific to Jesus as a fully divine and yet fully human person. You are not going to be tempted to turn the stones of the desert into loaves of bread. I can pretty much guarantee that won't be one of your temptations. But it was the first test for Jesus, the first test, because that involves the possibility of Jesus misusing his divine power to satisfy his own material needs. Why not turn these desert stones into loaves of bread? Come on, you say you're the son of God. You can do it. The second test involves a dare to a foolhardy action of self-harm in order to be reassured of God's protection. Why not jump off the high pinnacle of the temple? Come on. And that test is even laced with deliberately dishonest quoting from scripture just to make it seem okay the third test offers jesus the very thing that his mission will ultimately bring about in his becoming king of kings and ruler of all but to do it by serving someone or something other than god now our own testing our own temptations are nowhere near this level but they have this in common with jesus trials they very often concern our strengths rather than our weaknesses. I want to say that again. Think about that. Our temptations can very often concern our strengths, our gifts, rather than our weaknesses. It's precisely in our moments of success and in our areas of greatest giftedness that our temptations are likely to arise. Like Jesus, we can be tempted through our gifts. The one, for example, the one who's gifted with charm may be tempted to use his charm to basically get away with anything. You ever known someone like that? The one who's the one who's gifted with the gift of the gab, as they say, well, he may be tempted to come up with just glib excuses well-crafted silver-tongued glib excuses to justify their own misconduct someone with the mind of a genius may be tempted to use this great gift to become a self-centered self-serving master of people and not a selfless servant of people It's just where we are strongest that we must be vigilant of temptation within ourselves to abuse or misuse our God given gifts. Now, in the case of Jesus, his response to each test was to rely on God's will revealed in Holy Scripture, the revealed Word of God. He sets us a pattern that we too ought to follow. For as the the writer to the Hebrews said, he said, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. See whatever the trial or the test that may come your way. If you go to the word of God, with your heart and your mind open and teachable, you will see what's right and what's wrong and you will be strengthened in the spirit to pass that test. Now, at this point, I I want us to pause for a moment to consider a a question arising from this passage. At least it's a question that, that came to me, maybe to you too. How did Matthew know the details of Jesus' trials in the wilderness? I mean, after all, he was totally alone out there without any human company whatsoever. It it can only be because it was something that Jesus himself told the disciples about. Now, that's a deeply personal thing that he told them, the details of his own temptations. And in sharing such a personal thing with them, he also taught them how to deal with their own temptations by falling back onto the word of God. See, we too should not be afraid of sharing our own trials and temptations with each other. Not only ought we sympathize with and encourage each other, but it can help us remember to fall back onto the word of God the next time we are tested. Now, at the end of this morning's reading, Matthew says, The devil left him, Jesus, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Just be careful that you don't jump to the wrong conclusion here. Do not think that this was the end of the temptations of Jesus. In his gospel, Luke ends this, this his account of this ordeal by telling us in chapter 4, verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. It's clear from the Gospels that the temptations of Jesus did not end in the wilderness. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, for example, Jesus rebukes Peter for his words of temptation about Jesus staying safe and out of danger. He says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus refers to the apostles in chapter 22 of Luke as those who have stayed with me in my trials. And in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus really struggles with what he knows he needs to do to fulfill God's purpose. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, he cries out. But then he adds, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then Luke tells us, There appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he awakes his sleeping disciples, he tells them to rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation in the way he has been. So even in his final moments on the cross, he's still being tempted. Matthew tells us that those who were passing by taunted him. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Some of us get worried or even despair because we think we should get to a stage where we are beyond temptation, a stage at which the power of the tempter is forever broken. But friends, Jesus never reached this stage at any point in his earthly life. From the beginning to the end, he had to fight his battle. And that is precisely why he understands and sympathises with our temptations. And it's also why he can help us to fight our battles. Our struggle with temptation is never easy, but it is not something we do without help of any kind. Firstly, it's God who through the Holy Spirit leads us onto the proving ground of our trials. Understand that. Here's how it's explained in the letter of James in chapter four of his letter. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. What you know you should have done or shouldn't have done But you ignore what you know, that's sin. When this describes something about yourself, then you know you shouldn't something you know you shouldn't be doing or saying, then it meets it means another test is underway. It's a test that can make you spiritually stronger and more like Christ. It's a test that ought to tell you that God is at work in you for his own good reasons and his own purpose. He's tempering you. It's a test that ought to make you rely more completely on God for your wisdom, your strength, and your resilience. It's a test that ought to bring you back to the foot of the cross in confession of sin, knowing you are, in fact, the undeserving receiver of God's grace upon grace upon grace and in all of this know that you have a lord and saviour who understands your situation who knows the degree of difficulty who intercedes with the father on your behalf and who conquered every test he conquered every test to win for you If you put your ultimate trust in Him, you're blessed and eternal peace with your Creator God.